is Willian is also part of their attacking threat. So if he scores and we lose, episode 13 is going to be my last one. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming into you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, and I think I have Rahul here from Connecticut. We didn't think he'd be coming back after the horrible loss to Arsenal, but we've had a change of fortune, and he's decided to share his thoughts. So, Rahul, what brought you back? I missed you, my friend. <laughs> well, I'm glad. It was mutual. I'm glad you decided to stay with us. Yes, the only reason I'm back is to to have a friend to talk to through these tough times. <laughs> you need to offload the grief a little bit, right? I do. I'm, I'm heartbroken. So, as you said, it's been a tough, tough week. You know, we did lose to Arsenal 3-1. It wasn't... Uh, an easy an easy result to swallow but it was the manner of which we lost so do you want to get us started off with that one and then we can talk about it yes let's let's get started so i mean i don't think this result was a surprise for majority of the chelsea fans i think everyone including me and you had an inkling that this performance this result was in us and you, I got to commend you for sitting through 90 minutes of it. But even though it wasn't a surprise, I had to shut it off after 45 minutes. Yeah, I understand. I was, I'm a hopeful believer. I was hopeful we were going to continue down a path and maybe pull this one back. But it started, it started pretty badly, I must say. So, I mean, the game started well overall. I thought we were going to get off on the right foot. But, you know, Mason Mount had a chance with a free kick. It did hit the outside of the post. And honestly, that was within the first... 15 minutes or so. And then after the 20 minutes, I really don't know what happened. And I feel like we say that with every loss, we kind of lose our way as we go through this, through the game. Yeah, we, we start off well, we could dominate possession. We know how we're going to try and break teams down, but then we just knock the ball around between our center backs and it goes into midfield and it's just the same patterns again. And there is no surprise element, even when, Arsenal attack and we we have the opportunity to counter them we somehow find a reason to slow it down right so yeah you're right after 20 minutes or so we just gave Arsenal the belief that this could be their day and their plan was working with with playing some of the youngsters that Arteta was forced to do and um, the defenders that he had to play in, in Pablo Marie because Luis was out Gabriel was out and all these players collectively from Arsenal grew in confidence while Chelsea just saw the game slip away from them. Yeah, I think that summarized perfectly. As you go through the game, if we don't do enough and allow Arsenal back into it, the confidence did grow. They did have a younger starting team. And the first goal coming in the 35th minute was a penalty from a man you call Beast James. So what happened there? How did that go down? He showed too much of his beastie side. <laughs> but he... That right side for Arsenal, Chelsea's right side, was turning into a, a joyful uh, experience for them in that they were finding crosses from that side. They were finding uh, attacking threats from that side. And, and that was seen when finally Tierney spins Reese James, or like you said, I called him Beast James, and goes into the box. And then for some reason, I think James feels like he has to do something and, and puts in a tackle, which he doesn't touch Tierney. But if you put yourself in that situation, you're you're giving the referee no other choice but to call it. 
Yeah. In all fairness, it was a very light tackle, in my humble opinion. I know they had looked at it over and over again, but you have to be a little smarter when you're in that position. If he's gone past you, it isn't one-on-one with the goalkeeper. There's a full line of defense in front of him. So that touch was kind of a poor decision, maybe due to being novice to the Premier League or whatnot. Just needs to be a little bit smarter there. And I think you messaged me. He needs to tame the beast a little bit. So hopefully he takes that seriously and slows down. But of course, Alexander Lacazette steps up, who hasn't scored in who knows how many games. I don't want to make fun of Arsenal because we saw the results of making fun of Arsenal. But he slots it in and it's a nice goal and they kick off from there. Yeah, he hadn't scored in, I believe it was eight games and his last goal came in September. So he a- he found a, t- a time to score and, and Arsenal found the time to win. But you're right. I think James should have seen, looked up and seen, okay, Tierney has spun me, but we've still got six or seven Chelsea players in the box versus three or four Arsenal players. So for Tierney to put in that cross, it would have had to have been perfect. And I think we might have been able to snuff it out without really giving away a penalty, but hindsight's 2020. So um, we move on and... and I think we slowly reacted to that goal and we, we wanted to come back into it, but then we give away a silly foul. And if Xhaka doesn't bury it, it's really a nothing free kick. Yeah, but it was a brilliant free kick, wasn't it? It was. He's never going to hit a better free kick in his life. Do you, do you know what's interesting? And I'd like to get your opinion on this. Where does that come from? Not just a free kick, but from a man that's been under pressure, just coming off a red card, what changed his mentality to, to not only step up and take that free kick, but hit it as sweetly as he did? You know, we've been talking about Arsenal not having leaders and, and having players that are too soft. In this game, you saw Xhaka, who, who was sent off in his last game and came back in, in this game. And he showed that he wanted to apologize. He wanted to make up for it. And he did so not only by obviously scoring, but also putting in a performance that he's known for. Yeah, yeah, and for sure. and And that's really what happened with Arsenal is they all, like I said, collectively put in a performance and got the goals. Yes, there were three lucky goals, you can call them, but they put themselves in a position to score them. Yeah, and that's something I don't don't understand because maybe it's something where we need to be more clinical. Obviously, we started with a strong starting lineup. We've got through our issues and whatnot we've had in the past, but something needs to be done about being clinical with the chances because I think we had something like 70% of the ball, even after they scored their two goals. And we just couldn't make that count. Yeah, we dominate possession. We keep about 60 to 70% of the ball. But we're not really doing anything with it. And that's what you're saying is the clinical part of it is, okay, we can control possession like Man City do or like Liverpool do. But we've got to have that killer instinct, which we've just lost in the last month. Yeah, I, I really hope we find that quickly. So we went into the halftime with two nails down and I think that's when you messaged me saying that's the end of it for you and I was like oh it's the end of the podcast for him because it's two nail no you just stop watching the game which I don't blame you for it's definitely hard to go down not because it's two nail down no not because of that it's because the performance was so poor we could tell there was no heart there was no drive and agreed we are in a busy season we're in a busy period players are going to be tired but we don't have that excuse solely every other team is in the same situation that we are in. So when we say we're tired or we don't have fitness or whatnot, it's not fair to say that and use that as a side to cop out from. We have to step up to the challenge and go through. And Arsenal are going through a tough patch and they stepped up to the challenge and did well. So anyway, we went in two nail down. I was very hopeful we'll come back. And 
coming back in, I think the third goal comes in <laughs> from Bukayoko, Bukayo Saka in the 56th minute. So we don't even hang on for another 10 minutes or so. And it was a lovely goal, but really I wanted to touch on this goal because if you haven't seen it, it's a cross come shot, which he says he meant it. You look at it multiple times. I think he was crossing and it went in over Mendy's head. It happens. It's it's okay. But as I was looking through, we're talking about Kante leaves Saka as he goes through on a run. And this is after the right back Bellerin has gone through without anybody stopping him. Ben Chilwell watches the pass, which means he's letting Bellerin pass it over. Um, and then Thiago Silva, who doesn't have anybody to mark, is looking at him while he crosses his ball straight into our net. At that point, I'm just sitting there going, maybe Raul's right. Maybe I should turn off this game because it doesn't make sense what's going on, specifically from the individual performances now. Not, no more as a team. I'm actually calling out names, and we don't like doing that. But really, no one seemed interested in stepping up. Yeah, I didn't watch that goal, but I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about is how do you come back from halftime and concede within nine or ten minutes? I mean, everything Lampard's told you, the changes he's made, he's brought on hudson Doy, he's brought on Jorginho, and the tactical switch make, switches he's made just go all out the window because you've now conceded a third and that kills the game completely. Yep. And and that's on the players. I mean, you you want to blame Lampard for the first half? Oh, fine, go ahead. But he's had the opportunity to to have 15 minutes with them, to give them instructions, to give them a plan. And they come back and, and like you said, watch three players just cruise into our half and watch the goal go right over Mendy's head. Now, yes, may, that may not have been meant as a, as a shot on goal, but when it's going for you, it's going for you. And it, it really went for Arsenal in that case. Yeah, and they took advantage. And definitely that kind of was, you know, the sword to the end of our, our challenge in that game. And honestly, at that point, I just kind of let the game go on in the background, just hoping something would happen as a consolation. And the 85th minute, Tammy Abraham puts in a goal into the net, which I must commend two players in this game because overall everybody was pretty poor. But Christian Pulisic, I've said this many times, when he's fit, that gentleman just continues to run, run, run and give his best. And he did for the entire 90 minutes that he played. You touched on Callum Hudson-Odoi coming on. He actually provided a wonderful cross. I mean, Tammy Abraham just had to stand there and the ball bounces off of him and goes in. Now, credit to Tammy. He does a beautiful swivel with his chest to put it into the net. It took five or so minutes for VAR to argue if it was offside or onside. Nonetheless, goal goes in. I'm a little bit excited. A few minutes later, right after that, we get a penalty. Jorginho runs up to it, super, super excited. I'm messaging him like, you need to turn the TV back on. It's going to be a grand slam finish. And of course, it's a save. Jorginho doesn't hit it very well. And I don't know if he's going to take another penalty for us again, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's two and two that he's missed. And I think that's the first time that's happened since Frank Lampard did it himself a few years ago. So it wasn't our day. And, it, and that summed it up if we needed any other indication that it wasn't our day. Yeah. And honestly, I'm okay when things are not our day. It's normal. It's part of football. The issue is when we we look like we did, that we didn't try. We had no creativity. We had no desire. We, no, we had no hunger. This is the same squad that was sitting top of the Premier League a few weeks ago. Granted, I don't expect this squad to win the Premier League, but I expect this squad to have some sort of fight, some sort of heart, especially in a North London derby. We need to be coming up to it and beating Arsenal in these games. But, you know, all said and done, it ended up 3-1. We had a lot of possession. We had a lot of the ball. We had a ton of passes, better passing accuracy. But 
it went nowhere. Ultimately, it went nowhere. That that's all that stuff is is void if you don't score the goals and and like you said, if we don't earn the right to win, we're never going to win a game. We can't just show up and expect. Oh, we're Chelsea. We'll win. We're we're the better team. We're favorites. We can't have those tags and in those does that kind of thought process because other teams are fighting for their lives. Now I know Arsenal will not get relegated, but they were fighting for a win, and we just showed up and we're like, "Here, Arsenal. Here's your Christmas present. Here's your win." And that 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 doesn't work in this league. And I think that's a lesson for the younger players and and a lesson for everyone at this club that. You've got to give it a hundred percent every time, and I'm not doubting that they don't. But when I see performances like this, I'm like, "What is going on?" Yeah, and I'm glad the way you described the way you did because that's exactly what I think happened. Is we looked at the table, we looked at the run of form, we've touched on the run of form on this very podcast, and probably everybody in Chelsea is going, "Arsenal not in very good form. On paper, we should stroll in, and this should be an easy win." And mentally, that's probably what happened. Is we're we're not going to have to put in the effort to make, uh, you know, uh, get a result out of this. And it goes 2-0 down. At that point, it's so late, your own motivation is deflated and it's very hard to come back from that. So, and of course, missing a penalty doesn't help and doesn't make it come back. But yeah, I just think we we went in mentally not not ready for the challenge and it just showed on the day. And And that's sad because it's a London derby. You've just lost to this team in the final a few months ago. What more motivation do you need to win in... in- prove to the cup final winners that you are the better team yeah one thing i can take out of this at least i'll say is at the end of the interview frank lampard was livid i mean he was completely upset irritated mad frustrated whatever you want to call it and it wasn't necessarily at himself and of course every manager has some part to to take in in a a loss and he said that is i do need to take some part of the loss in maybe tactics, maybe player selection or whatnot. However, at the end of the day, you've got 11 well-played, well-paid, excuse me, highly skilled professionals. And if they don't turn up and perform, I don't care what formation he's playing. I don't care what tactics he's playing. We can have gone out there and lost, similar to when Leeds lost to Man United 6-2, but you could tell Leeds cared. Till the last minute, they were running and trying to score a goal, and they did make opportunities. We just did not care. And you could tell Frank was extremely, extremely irritated with some of these players. And that's the benefit of having a Chelsea man and, and a person that knows exactly what this, these defeats mean. Uh, and I hope he's, you know, he's sharing this passion with them behind the scenes and, and they're taking it on board and not just being like, this guy is so crazy about winning games because at the end of the day, they go out on the pitch and do the job. Right. And if they don't, then there's only one person that will get blamed, and that's Lampard. Yeah, and I want to talk to you about Frank Lampard a little more, but maybe if we've got nothing else to cover on this game, because, again, it was an abysmal performance, we should move on to the next game that happened, which was Chelsea-Aston Villa. You want to kick that one off? Yeah, so not a, a, a long time between the two games, just about 48 hours, and Chelsea returned to the pitch to face Aston Villa, and Lampard made the changes, and rightly so. I think we played... Uh, Saturday night and then again Sunday, uh, Monday night. So he plays Mendy in goal. Esfalaqueta comes in for Reese James. Uh, Rudiger Christensen surprised that Christensen was back in the squad. Chilwell plays after playing against Arsenal. Uh, Mount Conte and Jorginho. 
in midfield. And then he, up top was Hudson Adoy, Pulisic, and Olivier Giroud. So a couple of comments on that. For me, I was very surprised, just like you were, he changed up the center back partnership at least not going with one of the ones that have been starting, either Zuma or Thiago Silva. I get it, Thiago Silva is 36. With all due respect to everybody who's played center back, I've played center back for a lot of my uh, amateur career, I might say. It's not the same amount of running as a midfielder or even a, a, a center forward or winger. I would have assumed maybe Zuma could have continued. I know he's played a lot of football, but that's fine. He's gone with the two different ones there. That's okay. Ben Chilwell was a big surprise to me. I was really, really shocked because he's played a lot of football. In fact, we thought he was not going to make the last game due to an injury and seemed like he was rushed and we're forcing him back in. We have two left backs, additional left backs to Ben Chilwell. I'm surprised none of them made the, made the starting lineup. I, fine, if you have an issue with Alonso's style, that's okay. But Emerson was reliable in the game when he came on when Chilwell was injured. Very, very surprised about that. Midfield, I was okay with. I think we really only have one strong defensive midfielder in, in Golo Kante. He starts. Mount has been brilliant. He continues. Jorginho, okay, can be a toss-up between him and Kovacic. I was hoping Billy Gilmore would get a chance. Either way, that's fine. I was a little bit surprised to see that Tammy kind of got dropped, but I think it's it's kind of the rotation piece of everything there. So that worked out fine. And Pulisic, again, great to see him playing. Hopefully, he continues to stay fit. Yeah, just on that point, Pulisic, Pulisic played a full 90 minutes against Arsenal and then showed up again against Villa and played another full 90 minutes. So knock on wood, fingers crossed that the fitness issues may be behind him. Yep, definitely knocking on wood. I want to make sure he stays fit because on his day, especially in the Arsenal game, he looked brilliant. And even in this game against Aston Villa, he looked brilliant. Yeah, and... Yeah, I, I get your point about Chilwell, and I was surprised that Reese James and Chilwell started the Arsenal game because we were told they're both injured and may not feature mind games or whatever. But there's got to be some fitness issue there, and Reese James doesn't play the second game, but Chilwell does. Not sure why, but anyway, uh, strong team and a team that we should should have had enough to win it, but we we didn't, and we tie it. At least it's not a loss, but. On the flip side, Aston Villa played the same team they played on Saturday, and they had a, approximately just about two hours more than Chelsea between uh, Saturday and Monday. And they looked the better side in terms of fitness and in, in, in coming out to win the game. Agreed. And it touches on my point why I said we don't have any excuses because everybody else is on the same boat as us during this busy Christmas time and holiday period. Again, we kept a lot of the ball. We had better passing, better pass accuracy, more shots. It's just back to the same thing. Either we're not clinical enough or we're just not creative enough. And I think I want you to touch on that a little bit because you've been screaming for somebody to be a little more creative when we miss someone like Hakim Ziyech, for example, who, even though he's a winger, we've seen him almost drag himself a little deep and give deep diagonal crosses to Ben Chilwell or Timo Werner or whoever it may be on the receiving end to sometimes unlock a defense if a defense is playing a high line it goes over the top if the defense is sitting really really deep he threads something through so I I really don't know with all this possession what needs to change to make this be more productive as far as goals go yeah that's a good question and I said this for Kai Havertz a couple of weeks ago when he played against Everton and it was as a team or as individual players, we've got to do the basics a lot better. 
And injuries are part of the game. Ziyech is out. That's fine. Hudson Adoy was out. That's fine. Pulisic was out. That's fine. But if you're not doing the basics right, which are passing, tracking back, fighting for the ball, and and just putting in your hundred percent and doing the basics, you're not going to get a result. Yeah, agreed. Hundred percent agreed. And that's something which I've been frustrated about in the last couple of games. In fact, I want to talk about going to passing from the back. It's a very modern way of playing football where every goalkeeper has to be brilliant with their feet. In this game in particular, if we were lost and we didn't know what to do, we would kind of pass the ball around in the back. And at some point it would make it to Mendy to which I'm looking at it. We're under pressure from Aston Villa. Aston Villa did pressure us and they understand we're trying to play out from the back. What are we trying to do when we're trying to have Mendy play passes from the back? If there's that much pressure, kick it up high. Just get it out of there. It doesn't make sense to lose the ball out of trying to be smart or be fancy or play the new beautiful football by passing it around because that's more frustrating. I would rather see the ball kicked up top, reset the formation, move out of being pinned back and chase down the ball rather than sitting deep, passing it to Aspie, passing it to Rudiger and hoping that our defenders can find somebody in midfield rather than being cornered, getting the ball pinched and now we're in a tough spot. And that's something where I don't, back to the creativity thing as a team doing the basics, the basic one-on-one thing, if you're cornered, clear the ball out of your half. What are we doing with it? And that's something that's happened multiple, multiple times. And I think teams are realizing it. Chelsea on a transition from our previous Italian managers. Yes, with sorry, we try to play sorry ball and keep the ball and whatnot. But if we're in a transition, the ball makes it back to our goalkeeper and we're not able to find a pass. Oh, just press Chelsea. Don't worry. They're going to squeeze themselves and make a mistake. And here we go. We just go from that. So we're not looking creative on the basics. You're correct. So it's something we have to look at and something we really need to figure out very quickly. Yeah, you, you've hit the nail right on the uh, uh, on the you've hit the hammer right on the nail is what I'm trying to say is. And we know Mendy isn't very comfortable playing it out from the back. He's a good shot stopper, as we've seen. But in the last few games, he has been caught out or or been closed down a lot more. And we saw this starting in the Leeds game where if you press him a little bit, he does have that nervous energy. He does have that mistake in him. And I think at that point, the instruction should be if you feel that you're getting pressed too much or you're getting it's getting too tight, knock it over the top. You've got Olivier Giroud in this game that can easily get his head on it and knock it down for a Mount or a Pulisic or a Hudson-Odoi. And that keeps Aston Villa or other teams guessing as to right. what are Chelsea going to do. And it's not just every time Chelsea have a goal kick, it's going to be short and let's just press them. Right. And that way the ball goes up faster. And okay, if you don't play with Giroud, you play with Tammy. If you don't play with Tammy, it's not like Pulisic or Werner or Callum Hudson-Odoi are lacking pace. It's not like they're going to go pressure the, the defense and the midfielders to try and pinch the ball. There is opportunity there. And it's the same thing with, with midfield. We're going to back. We're going to side. I just don't see any creative passes going forward. And that's something to really think about. So anyway, the, go- the game ended 1-1. I think if you're in a better mood, we would praise Giroud. You would call him Golru and whatnot. I want to touch on Aston Villa's goal because, again, we go in one nail into the first half after Giroud scores in the 34th minute. Again, we were not the better teams by any means. Aston Villa score in the 50th minute. It's a repeat of what happened right off of Arsenal coming back in. Doesn't even take five, ten minutes in this game, five minutes. And Aston Villa against exactly what Lampard has spent his 15-minute team time, halftime talk saying, 
do this better, do that better, don't do this, don't do this. And what happens? We concede a goal. I really don't understand what's going on. And Christensen, I think he needs to be a little bit stronger in some of these tackles. Granted, he did feel a hit or whatnot, but a strong defensive challenge should have happened and other players should have stepped in. I just don't know what happened there. So you want to talk through that one? Yeah, I, I do. And and I'm going to say Christensen isn't strong enough mentally and physically to play for a top six side. We've seen enough of him over the past three, four seasons. And this is no way of me picking on him or saying he's he's crap. I'm just saying he doesn't have the mentality or the physicality to play for a Premier League top six side. He could be very good for some of the other teams or in a different league like he was at Mönchengladbach. But for Chelsea or any of the other teams, he's just not got it. And I say that because in today's game and in, in previous games, he gets hit, he gets caught out. And today, for example, yes, it was a foul from Grealish and it should have been called, but it wasn't. Yet he spent the next few minutes on the ground rolling and maybe he was in pain and maybe that the, the hit from Grealish hit him and it stung in the moment. But you've realized the referee hasn't blown for it after 10, 15 seconds. Get up and get back into your position. If the ball goes out for a goal kick, go down again and, and make force the referee to stop the game at that point. Just laying there, holding your ankle, holding your shin. Again, I'm, I'm not a professional footballer, and I know the hit from Grealish was hard. But Grealish got right back up and joined the attack to, to provide a ball out for a cross, while Christensen just laid there and did absolutely nothing to help his team. And in that whole process, our defense got all like confused. Aspilicueta pulls in from his right back position. Conte doesn't trace El Ghazi. El Ghazi is free at the far post and he scores. So I'm like you said, I'm not a professional football footballer either. We have played some pretty hard tackling games ourselves in our day. We, we, in, in fact, for us, you and I grew up not playing on grass. So if anybody was interested in understand about that, we played on some hard, hard conditions. I have the bruises to prove it. But I guess what he's trying to say is if you're truly not injured, that is a very open statement. But if you're truly not injured to the point where you cannot hobble up and continue and give your all for the team, then don't stay down. You need to continue to get up. You need to try and fight. And that's what makes the difference between being a world-class center back and being what Rahul's referring to as maybe not a top six center back or an elite Premier League club center back. And no disrespect to him because I'm never going to be a center back playing for Chelsea or any Premier League club. But as a fan watching from the outside, you want to see that courage. You want to see that power, that determination of I got a kick. It does hurt. I'm not truly injured. It does hurt. But what can I do to get up and help? And I think even mentally, when you get up, the rest of your team is not distracted. It's another thing because mentally as a player, if one of my teammates went down, my mind is on, is he okay? I need to make sure he's all right. Whether or not I stop playing, but my eyes are there, my mind is there, and I lose a little bit of, of focus maybe. And that's something that if he truly wasn't injured, maybe that mental toughness or physical toughness, just to get up for a few seconds because that ball could have gone out right after that. And then you can lay down and ask for treatment, which he, he got the treatment in the end. So if he truly didn't have a serious injury, I completely agree with you. Again, I'm not a professional footballer. It may have been a super hard hit. I don't know. But it's worth the discussion that we're having here. Yeah. And 
he got the treatment and he continued to play the rest of the game. So clearly, long term, it wasn't as bad as it seemed when he went down. Now, anyway, that's that's a separate issue. We the game continued, and I don't know why we got so confused that we just left a man open on the right side. Yeah, and I can see why Espelicueta got sucked into the middle. This El Ghazi ran off of Conte, and for someone to run off of Conte shows and, and speaks to Conte just switching off, which is very rare. Yeah, didn't we say that about him in one of the previous podcasts where he lost the ball early on against West Ham, and luckily Aspiliqueta came and stamped it out? So it's not like, and I think in the last game, he gave away the free kick to Xhaka, which was a needless free kick as well. So Again, we hate picking on players because as a team, everyone needs to do the basics. But as we talk on this podcast and we bring out some of the frustrations that we have as fans and we know that you have as fans, we do point out some of these things. Ingolo Kante is a World Cup winning defensive midfielder. How do you switch off in a game? How? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't. And it may just be mental exhaustion from playing multiple games. It could be he just didn't. He thought Aspilicueta was pick. Anyway, communication could be better too in that situation. So a lot of things went wrong, and we got punished. And from then on, we didn't really control the game in midfield. We didn't control an attack. We were pretty open ourselves at the back. Uh, McGinn hits the bar, and if anything, it looked like Aston Villa wanted to nick it two one. And I think one one was a fair result, but again coming off of a horrible loss like that against Arsenal and, and previously against Wolves and Everton and, and the horrible month that we've had, I would have thought, and, and I'm sure you thought the same thing, is this game would be a little bit different where we came out and, and, and showed our, our style and our, our, our quality. Yeah. So I think on a positive note, I do have to give another commandment to Pulisic again and Callum Hudson-Odoi again. They're becoming quickly the wingers that we need, two types of players that play wide, put a lot of energy coming up and down, and a lot of credit to Pulisic. He ran back several times to pinch the ball defensively, and so did Callum Hudson-Odoi, who has been shamed in the past for being, you know, kind of a more attacking-minded player and not doing his defensive duties. Both of them were brilliant on the night. And yes, it ended 1-1, but we have to find the positives as from the Arsenal game, Everybody did seem like they did want to put in a shift. Now, obviously, there were individual mistakes, and we talked about Christensen and Kante, but it was a better mentality, for lack of a better word, than the previous game. And I do want to transition from that word mentality because you said mental exhaustion or whatever. How much of this is now down to Frank? Because you've been screaming and calling for, and I know, Frank, I know you don't listen to us, but hopefully one day you do, but you've been calling and screaming for Billy Gilmore to get a game or at least get some minutes. You've got Kovacic and Jorginho. If they're not your favorite players, that's okay. But you're playing 48 hours. Could some of these players have been rotated better? Could, in the previous game, could you have maybe rested Silva and played Rudiger so Silva could have played in this game so you have your starting center backs? I know you don't like breaking partnerships, but how much of this is down to just Chelsea players and Lampard calling them out against Arsenal? And how much of this is up to Lampard? Because you and I have both seen some pretty nasty stuff against Frank Lampard, not just on the back of these couple of games. It's been going on since since our first loss against Everton. 
Yeah, it, it actually went back to the beginning of the season where we dropped points against Liverpool, against West Brom, and all of a sudden, certain Chelsea fans are Lampard out and even go as far as saying, I hope we lose the game against Aston Villa so he's not our manager anymore. I mean, that to me is pathetic and ridiculous because you're supporting the club as the club, not as, oh, I want a certain manager at this club, so therefore I'm going to support him. If you want to do that, I would suggest you go play FIFA and, and, and manage your own team. It's it's re- totally ridiculous that we've, after every result, after every negative result, I should say, there's certain people that feel they need to say Lampard out or Mount sucks or criticizing every player. Because like I said earlier, you've got to earn the right to win. And if you're not, as a fan, you continue to support your team. Yeah, and, and you know, you and I have been on this podcast and I've been critical of Tammy Abraham, for example, and you've been critical of Kai Havertz. And as, as overall, we've talked today about other players but it doesn't mean we don't support the team as a whole. I'm not sitting here saying Kante out. I'm not sitting here saying let's get a, get rid of Werner or whatnot. There are frustrations. You're allowed to express your frustrations. But I've seen it when we lose, when we win one nil and people are complaining that we didn't win six nil or we didn't win five nil. And it's like you can't have everything. And the club are not made up of people who are just going to sit here and let Lampard continue if we're losing. And we're sitting 15th in the league, for example. It's not like we're we're fighting a relegation battle. And we all accept it as a club. We're not going to win the Premier League this season, but we're going to try and do some things better. Have we been poor in the last month or so? Yes, completely agree. And I'm sure many will agree with me. But you can see what he's slowly trying to build. You can see the types of players he's bringing in. And you can see what the vision is going forward. So for me to say Lampard out, it's the same thing when I defended. I sat here and defended Mikel Arteta. It's the same thing. He, he has a vision. He has a plan. The club is not pushing him out. You have to give him time because sometimes players need to change. People need to settle in and whatnot. So I'm very, very surprised on how people do talk about things when they get on the internet because it's easy to hide behind a keyboard or, or your phone or whatever it is. And that's very, very interesting to hear. But us personally here, Lampard needs to have a couple of seasons under his belt. Now, if you go into next season... And we're 20th in the league with 10 losses in a row. Okay, we can all talk about Lampard out at that point. But it doesn't make sense at this point in time. It doesn't. And we went through this last season where in this period we were up and down. We had some negative results. But he turned it around. We ended up in the Champions League spot. We ended up in an FA Cup final on the back of signing no players. So he earned the right to come into this season. He's got some players that are newer. He's went on a 17-game unbeaten run earlier this season. Yes, December has been a tough month, but we still sit, I believe, sixth. We're still in the run-in to finish in the top four. And we're not that far off from top spot either. And again, you said we don't think we'll win the Premier League, and I agree with you. But it's too early to say that we're not going to be in the top four this season or we're not going to make it into the Champions League again. It's it's ridiculous, and I think we've got to give Lampard time, just like Liverpool gave Klopp time. I know everyone's like, oh, Klopp's the best manager in the world, but you weren't saying that three or four seasons ago. Right, completely. And again, I'm not comparing Lampard to Klopp because Lampard's a newer and younger manager, but what I am saying is time is important for managers to build their philosophy and their way of doing things 
And for a young manager like Lampard, he's learning on the job every day, every training session, every game. So you've got to stick it out with him. Like if we let him go tomorrow, who comes in? Thomas Tuchel? Like he couldn't even get PSG to win the Champions League. Right. We had Sari, who was supposed to revolutionize Chelsea and make them into this attacking team. And that didn't happen. And we lost 6-0 to City and 4-0 to Bournemouth. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm kind of sick of going through managers every other season and getting a few positive results and, and winning a trophy or two and then going through the same process again. At some point, it's got to change. And I think Lampard is the man that will change it. And, you know, to your point, at some point, Chelsea ourselves, we have a standard we've set for ourselves. Do we want to win every game? Absolutely. But just look around you in the season that we have. This past weekend, Leicester and Man United drew. Liverpool drew. Now, Man City did win, but that's okay. But you're talking about people in and around the top six. Wolves and Spurs drew. So it isn't like we're out here alone having a bad December. It's a difficult time in in a difficult year with many, many things going on. And you touched on a really good point. Frank Lampard guided us to Champions League last year with no transfers. And this year we spent 200 on million. So some of that has to be accounted for is players do take time to settle. Now, I may contradict myself because I've said this in the past about someone like Kai or Timo. If you're world-class and elite, you should slide right in. But it doesn't always happen. It really doesn't always happen. Language barriers, living bar- food, family. And you're in, again in a crazy year where do I want to go score a goal or do I need to go call my mom and make sure she's okay because of what's going on in the world today? There's so many factors that could come in. And so, again, just touching on not just Lampard out, but any player we criticize overall, even even Christensen, if when he's not going to be an elite player for us, it's everybody's doing what they need to do to contribute. We have to demand more of them, of course, but we can't sit here and just scream out, out, out. We have to analyze and see where they can get better. I 100% agree with you. And like you said, this year with COVID, no preseason, no fans. And like you said, some of these new guys moved from Germany, moved from, from Paris in Thiago Silva's case. And they may have friends there that they don't see anymore. They may have family members there that they don't see anymore. The clubs are more strict with travel and, and, and doing things on your day off. And someone like a Kai Havertz, again, I, was, I, I still am very critical of him, but I do realize that he had COVID. He spent two weeks in isolation. He may still have after effects of COVID. He's alone by himself. I don't think he has a girlfriend in, in London. I don't think his family is with him. So all of that, like you said, plays on your mind. And when things aren't right on the field and at home or off the field, it all just adds up and, and, and combines in the poor results we've seen. Again, we're not making excuses for these guys. And do they have to do better? Absolutely. Does Lampard have to do better? Absolutely. But as fans, as human beings, and as, as people living in this global pandemic, we've got to realize that these players are in the same conditions. Agreed. And you know, everything is cyclical. Even form is cyclical, right? We're the same two gentlemen that sat here early on in the podcast and were critical of Man United. They sit fourth with two games in hand and could really come up to second in the league. We sat here with Spurs being top of the league saying, oh, you know, if Mourinho has his masterclass moments, he could really win this Premier League. They sit below us. So everything has to do with form where we are human beings. I understand they make millions and millions of dollars, but they're also human beings. I sound counterproductive or I sound like I'm, you know, 
going against what I said in the beginning, but as you talk through things, you understand it, it comes down to human beings, the nature of what it is. We'll bounce back from this. It's just a matter of time and getting through some of the rough patches that we're going through right now. Yeah. And things will, things will get better. And if they don't, then, you know, like you said, this club and this, this board and the owner aren't someone that will just sit behind and, and be emotional like you and I may be about Lampard. So we'll, we'll see time will tell, but I think Lampard turns it around over the next few games and, and going into the new year. Yep. So I think this current draw puts us in sixth right below Aston Villa. Now Aston Villa are looking brilliant by the way. They are one um, same points as us ahead on goal difference, but they have two games in hand. So it's going to get interesting. Again, the league is pretty tight. So we'll see how that plays out, especially since this was our last game for 2020. So a lot to look forward to in the new year. And we hope that it kicks off, not just on a Chelsea perspective, but, you know, a wonderful year to get forward to and get past 2020. Yeah, I agree. And it hasn't been a bad year for Chelsea overall. We made it to a cup final. We just said we made it to the Champions League. We signed some awesome players. And long-term, those players will come good. I believe it. And I I mean, like, what else? (laughs) Apart from winning a trophy, which, you know, not every team can do. We've we've had a good year and it'll only get better. So we've got to stick it out and, and take these bad results with the good results when they come. Absolutely. Absolutely. So why don't we catapult onto a different segment in the spirit of the new year? We wouldn't do this segment, obviously, every podcast, but trying to do something different because a fan has asked for this. So why don't you take us through this segment that we're going to go through? Yeah, let's talk about a fan question that we received. And that is, who has been the worst signing from the summer transfer window so far this season? And this question was from at Nikesh00. So that reminds me, big shout out to at Nikesh00 and at Narain B in our previous quiz that we did about Romanian players that have played for Chelsea. We posted a little picture and some questions on Twitter. Both of these two handles got it correct. It was Adrian Mutu as one of the blasts from the past to go with Dan Patescu. But anyway, now back to the question, who's been the worst signing from the tr- summer transfer window so far in the games played? This is a tough, tough question because... We've just come off defending some of our own players. (laughs) But uh, to contradict ourselves, now it's just a question that's open-ended. So forget everything we've said in defense of Chelsea players, any other player for that matter. Who's one of your shouts for one of the worst signings this this summer? Yeah, I I think he asked this question with the intention of getting us to say some of our Chelsea guys. So, yes, some of our new signings haven't kicked off and, and... played the way we want them to but for me i am going to go with aaron ramsdale from sheffield united okay you want to tell us why so he got relegated with bournemouth last season moved from bournemouth to sheffield for 18.5 million and has now played 13 14 games for sheffield and not won a single game wow so for a guy to come in and replace dean henderson who was awesome for Sheffield last season and I realized Sheffield as a unit and as a team were much much better last season but for a guy to come in and and ship goals and and not provide the defensive solidity that Henderson was providing I think that has contributed to some of their results on the field and 
he's young and I know he may get better, like we we said about some of our Chelsea players, but I think so far in the first four months of this season, he would be for me the worst signing of the season. Okay. That's a good shout. I have done quite a bit of analysis for this question because it's a haunting question and I have to be honest. So there are several names I'm going to throw into the hat and I would like to discuss these with you before I arrive on my answer here. So other than Aaron Ramsdale, one, our very own Chelsea player, which is absolutely contradicting to me because we've already discussed protecting them, but we have to be honest in these questions. We've got a Kai Havertz, a young gentleman who came in for 71 odd million. He's 21 years old. He was the next big thing coming out of Germany. He's not performed so well. He's got four goals and four assists in, I believe, 15 or 16 appearances. The next one I have on here is Rian Brewster, who joined Sheffield United, ironically, from Liverpool for 23 million, which is no small fee for, I think he's 19 or 20 years old. I've also got Willian. So interesting one. Maybe we can count that as the Chelsea one that our fans are pushing us to say. But it's an interesting one because Willian transferred for no money at all. So it seems on the front of a good deal for Arsenal, but he's going on high, high weekly wages, upwards of 200,000. And he's also only contributed three assists so far in, I forget how many games. But the reason he's in the mix is he might be blocking the potential for Pepe, who's their world record signing, and maybe a shot for last season's terrible signing. But also youngsters like Saka and Gabriel Martinelli, who were great, by the way, against Chelsea. And I have another one to throw into the hat, which is a Southampton player, which many people may not know, Mohamed Salisu. And the only reason he's in here is because he transferred for $10.9 million, which may not seem like a lot, but it's for a young player that has not made an appearance for Southampton. And the Southampton manager, and Rahul can say his name because I always mess it up, is saying he will be fit soon, which I don't really understand because he's not injured, but he's just not fit enough to make an appearance for Southampton. So those are my four. Let's start talking through these. What about Kai Havertz? What are your thoughts and opinions on him? Yeah, that, this is a tough one. And I don't want to call him the worst signing of the season so far, but he's got to be up there just based off of the performances and, and some of the the games we've seen him play where he's done absolutely nothing. And for the amount of money we paid for him and, and the reputation that he came with from the Bundesliga, it's it's tough to to not say that he's been he's been the worst one. But again, he was out for two weeks. He's been in and out the last few weeks, and so I'm sticking with Aaron Ramsdale. So just for devil's advocate and having the discussion, he's played 20 games so far, four goals, four assists. Like I said. He is relatively young. He's 21 years of age. But we had a special man join us at 21 years of age as well in the 2012-2013 season by the name of Aiden Hazard, who played 62 games, scored 13 goals from left wing, and assisted 24 times. And honestly, again, support Kai Havertz. I think he's going to be brilliant for us in the future. I just don't see how he gets even close to Aiden Hazard's numbers in Aiden's first season. Again, Aiden, same age, young, coming from a different league, language issues, whatever you may want to call it. Of course, it's not a pandemic, so maybe Kai gets a free pass on that. But where where credit is due is 
one, look at how Kai is performing, but credit is due to Aiden to, to perform the way he did in the, in, in the year he came. But one thing I've been thinking about as a defense on the other side to Kai Havertz is Aiden Hazard came into a team with Frank Lampard, John Terry, Petr Cech, Branislav Ivanovic, and a couple of more really senior seasoned players. And I wonder if that had an effect on how he quickly he settled into the team. Yeah, you're you're right. At that point, we even had Torres, who had been part of the squad for a few seasons, Mata, who had come in. So you're right. He joined a, a team that had more of a spine, as as they call it in in right. the in the game, versus Havertz, who's come into a team that's still finding its way in terms of a spine, in terms of you know Lampard putting in his style and with his players, especially with the new signings. So yeah, that that's a good defense of of you know Havertz and and. Again, he's young. He may not have moved with his family, like we said, and and having COVID for two weeks and and all all of that obviously contributes to it. But Chelsea paid for the potential as well as as the as the current you know talent. So in a year or two, we could be talking about what a great steal it was, right? And and you know us being premature giving him the title of of worst <laughs> signing. Well, I didn't say I was going to give it to him just yet. I want to move on to Rian Brewster. So I think he's 19 or 20 as well. Big potential coming out of Liverpool. Just is not going to get a, get, get ahead of the three or four players they have in that position, especially after Diego Jota joined. Came for 23 million and has barely done anything for Sheffield. Again, they're struggling, maybe coming from a Liverpool, but what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, he was... He was definitely on my mind when I was thinking about some of the the worst ones, and he's had a tough time. And it, again, it goes back to Sheffield having a tough time overall as a team. But if you're not scoring, as which is what they bought him for, and and not, you know, giving the team something to hold on to in terms of goals, then it's it's tough to to argue that he's not been a good signing yeah. <laughs> what about William I would give it to him if they if Arsenal had paid any money for him <laughs> but since he was for free and they really just paid wages mind you they had to fire about 50 odd people and their mascot to pay him right he's definitely up there yeah and the last one of obviously Mohamed Salisu I don't think you know much about him I honestly don't know much about him I do know a fun fact that he is from Ghana so we'll keep a close eye on this on this gentleman. He hasn't really made an appearance yet to be called uh, worth signing so far, but we'll keep a, a, an appearance on that. As I discuss this through through with you, for me, there are two players and two names that stand out. One is obviously Kai Havertz and the other is Willian. And going through the whole process, I think for me, Willian is the worst signing so far. Kai Havertz is the worst based on monetary value. If Chelsea had secured Kai Havertz for $30 million, this would not be a discussion. It really would have not been a discussion. Everything we've said would be a valuable point and we'd move down. And also, I'm not picking Kai Havertz because this is the Premier Chelsea and we're Chelsea fans here. So we're not picking Kai Havertz. But why Willian? Willian went to Arsenal for free. Why did Chelsea allow Willian to leave? Because of the reason of allowing younger players who would give us a long-term stability future to actually flourish. So players like Callum hudson doy who's been putting in great performances, Pulisic now, and obviously you've brought in Werner, you've brought in Kai Havertz, so there's more opportunity for them to play. When going to Arsenal, Arsenal got a short-term fix, or they were hoping 
they would get a short-term fix. Other than three assists, he's not really provided much. He's not scoring goals. He's got some disciplinary issues where we know he snuck off to Dubai for holiday during a pandemic when he shouldn't be doing that. And now we're talking about when he's every time he starts, that is a hole being filled by someone who could be a Saka or a Nathan and Miles potentially, or even an Eddie Nkache who's been performing pretty well for them. And of course, you've got uh, Gabriel Martinelli who's come back and now looking really, really good. So where do Arsenal go from there? Because you've now put pen to paper on a, on a two or three year contract, which is fairly lucrative. So for me, based on some of the facts we've stated, plus the bias I have towards Chelsea, I think William is the worst signing so far of the season. And and forgive me, because I do love him. He's a great servant for us. But that's where my uh, reasoning comes from. I, like I said, he was definitely up there for me. And if Arsenal had paid even one pound for to Chelsea for him, he would definitely be the worst one for me. But the fact that they just had to pay his wages, mind you, a lot of wages right. for him to just really manage his restaurant with Louise in London and not disrupt his family. So it's a very good shot. Yep. So that kind of wraps up that segment. Do you know, this has been really fun. So if anybody listening that has questions like this, go ahead and throw those over the fence to us because we love having debates like this and talking about this and obviously give us your feedback. So we'll post some questions online about who the worst signing so far has been been the season comment let us know and it's great to interact with you guys it's been really really brilliant yeah and i i think we can also do a question about who the best signing has been and so let's let's open that up to to the listeners and send us your responses and we'll read some of them and we'll share ours on the next episode yeah that's a great idea for sure yeah and we'll also be back uh, kind of do a closeout on 2020 and, and look at some of the other games coming up later this week and wishing and hoping Man City's COVID results are nothing serious. They Their game against Everton was cancelled today and they're our next opponent. So hopefully they can feel the team and that game can go through. But it's been fun, Jackie, and, and December was a definitely rough month of, of fixtures and results for us, but We've somehow somehow managed to get through them together. Um, so I'm hoping that 2021 is is even better for us and, and we can enjoy and grow this podcast. Yeah, I'm glad you stayed on because I really didn't think you are going to stay on with us. So I'm happy. I'm glad we started this podcast in 2020. So there's definitely a silver lining. And to all our listeners out there, wishing you a happy new year. Glad you've listened in with us this 2020. And we hope you continue with us into 2021. Thank you, guys.